What is God's plan for money? Plan for finances, things like that. Uh, questions always get brought up, you know, because there's two ways of doing things, the right way and the wrong way. There really is no in-between. There's a right way to do things and a wrong thing to, way to do things. And really, when it comes to anything and any question of life, the right way to do things is God's way. There's no question about it. You know, we want to be obedient to what God says. So there's no commandment that we should, that we have to give our money away. There's none, none whatsoever. Anybody that tries to tell you that there is, is wrong. But there are biblical principles tied to money. And giving is one of them. We've talked about that. The first thing is the tithe. That first fruit, the first 10%. Now, I have to explain this a little bit because some people uh, get it confused. Does that 10% mean that you've got to do something down to the very penny? If, if you got $1,140, do you have to write it for one fourteen? Is that how that works? If you're, and, if, and if you factor in the cents on top of that, like, is that where we're going to go? Like, I think we're missing the point if, if that's where we're at, because it's not a command. What it is, is there's a principle. We are bringing the first of what we have to God, trusting Him with the rest, knowing that by doing this, His hand bless us. What it says in Malachi, see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you, so much so that you wouldn't have room to receive it. I don't know about you all, but I got a little bit more room in my life, Okay. So, uh, you know, we haven't reached that yet. But the thing is, is that we do that with a thankful heart. Now, I have seen people do this all different types of ways all through the years. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, it comes down to one reason they do this is to control. I have seen people who do just what I said. You know, they'll figure it out down to the penny. That's fine. That's what you want to do. I mean, you're, you're, you're overthinking it a little bit, you know, maybe round up to the nearest dollar. I mean, you know, just not overthink it, but don't round down. Never round down. We always round up. That's a joke. Stay with me. Okay. So, but, but I've seen other people who uh, uh, will give, like, they just come in. And, uh, in fact, the last church I was at, this guy came in. Uh, he was a fairly well-off. He was a farmer. He's a fairly well-off guy. But he just he gave the same amount every week. And I said, okay, and he said, well, this is my tithe. I was like, okay, so this is based off of what your income is. He's like, well, no, I make more than that, but I just, I give the same amount. I'm like, well, then the, let's not call that a tithe because that's not what a tithe is. And he's, he didn't understand because what we think of, we think tithe, we're just like, well, I'm just bringing a tithe. We're actually bringing an offering. If it's not the first 10%, it's not a tithe. That's between you and God. If you're going to do that, not do that. I've also seen some very wealthy people through the years that will come up to me and they said, I'm afraid to give uh, what my actual tithe would be because I don't think the church can handle it. That's what I said. I'm like, uh, let's give it a shot. No, I'm just kidding. But what I told him, I said, now listen, that's not your problem. Ultimately, it's not. What happens with that? Once you bring it, your responsibility with it is ended, right? You've been obedient to God. What the church leaders do with it, they answer to God for. Right? You guys following me? So if they don't know how to handle it, that's, God's going to deal with that. So it's, not, it's never the amount, it's the percentage. It's just the principle behind it. And I have seen churches do some horrible things with money. Like, not, when I say horrible, it's not like they're, they're funding child trafficking or anything like that. I'm just, they're just not good with it. Now, part of this is, is that you get pastors who are very theologically sound, but have no idea about economics and business structures or anything like that. And they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to, they don't know how to budget anything. And, and so you have problems there. And then you get the other side where they're just so cheap, like, you know, it's like they're tighter than two coats of paint. I mean, it's just, they, 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 they'd rather hoard it than use it. And what is money? Ultimately, it is nothing but a tool given by God. That's all it is. And so you have all of these extremes all over the place. 
And, and ultimately, what do we do? We, we just be obedient. We, we, we follow God. And the reason that most people struggle in this area, whether they like it to not, or not, it has to do with pride. And we talked about it. I put these two words up on the board last week. We had covet and we had contentment. When you drill down on covetousness, the looking for something that does not belong to you, the desire wish with eagerness to desire earnestly to obtain or possess in a good sense, which it can be used here, is we want to yearn spiritual gifts, but in a bad sense is I want what you have. What do we call that in today economically? We call that socialism. I want to bring you down and you give me what rightfully belongs to you. You know, I have seen through the years where God has blessed somebody and people get jealous. Why would that be? We have no idea what was going on. We have people in the society today that get jealous over people who have done well, not thinking about the sacrifices that they have made or the wise decisions that they made to get to that position. Maybe if we did the same thing, we would have the same results. When it comes to our use of money, it is, is more behavioral than it is anything else. All of this stuff about, they talk about old money and people having a leg up. Let me tell you something. If you don't know how to use money, I don't care how much they give you, you will squander it. Otherwise, every time somebody wins the lottery, they would be rich for the rest of their life. Every time these NFL and NBA players are getting their millions and millions of dollars, as soon as they retire, how many of them, it's, it's a ridiculous number, file bankruptcy. Because they just kept having more. They had more than enough. They made more money in a, in a two-year span than most of us will ever see in our lifetime and yet have nothing to show with it for it at the end of their career. Why is that? Because it's behavioral. Giving is behavioral. We have to make a decision. Are we going to do it? Our whole life is, is a result of behaviors and choices that we make. Are we going to go to the gym? Are we going to go to the buffet? For some of us, we do both. Okay? I want to be well-balanced. I'm a well-rounded individual. No? All right, tough crowd. Okay. See, we have this problem here. It's this covetousness. When we drill this down, it is one thing and one thing only that drives this. It is pride. I deserve. I need. If only I had. They don't deserve that. They shouldn't have that. They don't need all of that. Our pride wells up and says, I need this. Because we try to find some sort of contentment inside of an item. But we can only find contentment in God. See, Mammoth promises us that we'll find contentment, but he can't. He can't deliver on that promise. He never can. Because only God can do that. The desire that we have for him. We're to covet spiritual gifts. and never We're not to covet anything else but God. That's it. We watched the same thing happen. Remember, we talked last week about Lucifer and his fall. I will ascend. I will be on the Mount of the North. I will be like the Most High. Because he was not satisfied. He was not content with the place in which God put him. You know, we do that in the body of Christ too. We think because I'm not a hand... I'm of no good, or because I'm not a toe, or I'm not a foot, or I'm not a mouth. The illustration that Paul uses in the body of Christ. We think because I am not standing up here in a pulpit and preaching every Sunday, that I'm of no use to God. I'm, I'm lower. That's not the case. We're different body parts. 
and met with a different function. But he says, I will do this and I will, I will ascend. And then what does he do? He goes to Eve and says, hey, did God really say? Gets her questioning what God actually said. And she's like, well, you know, I mean, the tree's good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes, which is exactly what God said. And so, and it's good enough to make one wise as unto God. Suddenly she realized, God has something that I don't. I need that. I have to have that. And this covetousness came in, and of course, ultimately, they fall. This is pride. But who else did this? The Pharisees. It says, Jesus said, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, attempted to justify themselves. We do the same thing. We see it religiously. We're trying to justify ourselves in some way before God by doing enough stuff. You look at all the religions of the world, including Christianity, that is not biblical Christianity. I mean, again, the Bible is our source. We leave that alone. That is where we get our information from. Not because somebody said this one time or I said that or whatever. It doesn't matter what I say. If it is not scriptural, then you need to throw it out. We do what Acts 17.11 says, that we, we take the word in with all eagerness and we test those things to see if they are true. Well, fortunately, there's not enough of that. But all the rest of the world is in a way to try to find a way to get to God, to please Him. That way we can get into whatever type of heaven there may be or a reincarnation or something along those lines. We are attempting to justify ourselves spiritually. We also attempt to justify ourselves behaviorally. You ever had somebody that like just loses their temper and like, oh, that's just the way they are? Does that make it okay? I mean, there are things that we will look past, but we'll never look past wife beating. A husband that constantly pounds on his wife, we would never say, oh, it's just the way he is. What about demon children screaming through the store? Oh, that's just how little Johnny is. There are no little Johnnies here, right? Okay. I don't think so. I want to make sure. That's just the, he's just expressing himself. I don't think so. He's possessed. We need to exercise that demon. That's what we need to do. You see, this all comes back to pride. All of it. It all comes back to pride, sadly enough. But let's get into this today. Matthew chapter 25. You see, as we get into the Word today, there's a word that will lead to this. It's the only thing that God has really commanded us in the area of finances because we can't cover our way there. We can't wish our way there. We cannot even do just enough good things and hope. We have to do and be this. We have to be a steward. That's a word we don't often use, but let's look at this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It says, for the kingdom of heaven. So what are we talking about? The kingdom of heaven. All right? He's given a parable. This is Jesus. Like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Now, I'll explain this more in a minute, but just so you know, talents does not mean talent. Your ability to perform something. I have watched people use this like, oh, the Lord gave that man more talents in the area of playing the guitar. Well, that may be true, and they will use this verse. To, that has nothing to do with that, okay? This is talking about money. Now, how did he choose how he was going to give it to him? According to their ability. How does one prove somebody's ability in something? By doing it. If I told you that I could bench press 500 pounds, how many of you guys would believe me? It's a good man. You're a foolish man, but you're a good man. 
Most of you are like, okay, let's see that happen. And that would be wise of you, and then just have the ambulance on standby. But anyway, so we have to prove it according to our ability. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who received one went and dug into the ground and hid his Lord's money. Whose money was it? His Lord's. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. What do we, we hear that used in church vernacular all the time. What is this referencing? Their ability with finances. It's not used anywhere else. We always talk about when we meet Jesus, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You notice it had nothing to do with what they were doing outside of the area of finances here. Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. I don't think this ended the way he thought it was going to. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Now, let me explain this real quick. The bankers there is not a bank. You're not making a deposit. This is really talking more about the money changers in the temple. Doing something with those finances to grow it. You should have at least done that instead of burying it in the ground. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you realize that this verse is the exact opposite of socialism that's taking from those who have to give it to those who have not? In fact, the entire Bible's premise is not to take and to give, but that these people who have been blessed with a joyful heart come and lift up those who are less fortunate. There's the difference. Do you realize that in this country, those who are less fortunate a lot of times are less fortunate because they cannot control how they spend and what their finances. There are exceptions to that. There are times that extenuating circumstances happen. Something's going on physically, mentally. They may be bankrupt because of medical bills. All of that stuff is outside of one's control. But the fact that somebody goes out and maxes out every credit card they can get their hands on and then can't figure out why they can't pay their bills that is not a, a, a poverty, that is poor decision making. I had an aunt that worked at a call center in Detroit for a credit card company back in the 90s. And she said when she started that job, she was absolutely amazed of how many people would call in because they did not realize they had to pay that money back. Like they were mailing out gift cards. And she said it wasn't an isolated incident, it happened all the time. So, what is stewardship? Because that is what we're talking about. Stewardship, being a good steward. We know that that's what the Bible says we've talked about. Here's the definition. Did I put it up? I did. It's the management of the resources of another. 
If you've ever owned a business and you've had employees, those employees are stewards. This, in this case here, these men were stewards of their Lord's money, their master's money. If you work at a job, you are a steward of the resources of the owner of whatever company that you are working for. You guys following me on this? It's not that complicated. We are taking care and responsible for the resources that belong to somebody else. So I've got three points for you today. Here's the first one. I am not the owner. I'm not. Neither are you. Let's look at this again. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to each one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his, whose money? Lord's money. After a long time the Lord and service came and settled accounts with him. None of that money ever belonged to those people. That was not a gift. It was given to them as a responsibility. Like, listen, you take this and you go do something with it. I don't know that doubling it was necessarily like the minimum, but to do something with it. But one person decided not to. He went and hid it. He was not a good steward with his Lord's money. The other two were because they went and used it. You see, we're not the owner. Everything belongs to God. Everything. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, For the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. This comes out of the Old Testament in multiple places. Here's a couple. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verse 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. And in case you haven't figured this out, everything here belongs to God. Why? He made it. It belongs to Him. Why do your children belong to you? Because you made them. You may regret that decision from time to time, but ultimately, they're yours. You're stuck with them. Everything belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills all belongs to God. Everything in this, this room belongs to God. Everything that you have belongs to God. Down to, if you pull out paper money, the paper that it was printed on came from a tree that God created, thus, it belongs to God. If you have gold, the gold that was ored out of it out of the rock, all belongs to God because He made the elements. Ladies, you got any diamonds? I know you do. Where did they come from? A lump of coal. Perfect way, yeah. The coal belonged to God. I mean, you guys see what I'm saying? Every bit of this belongs to God. So why don't we live our lives as such? That our resources belong to God. Our time belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. Why don't we treat it like we are stewarding it and He is coming for a day of reckoning? But we don't. We allow pride to enter in and we say, okay, you know what, I can go and do this. I can do what I want, whatever. You know why we do that? Is we have a teenager problem. Not a problem with teenagers. We have a teenager problem. What do I mean by that? When a teenager lives in your home, is it their home? It is not. Do they act like it's their home? Yes, they do. Yeah, everybody's thinking about y'all back there. I know. (laughs) They walk around like they own the place. Who lives in that house that knows absolutely nothing? The parents. Why do they question every rule? Well, that's stupid. 
Why do we do it this way? They go behind her. Man, when I was growing up, now I've told you guys this before. My mom was from the South. All right? And if you've ever dealt with a Southern woman when she's angry, it doesn't matter what comes out of her mouth. You're wrong. It doesn't even have to make sense. Her best line in arguments, well, there you go. What does that mean? But my mom being from the South, I mean, I'd go in my bedroom and lock the door. She'd just kick that. Like, what are you doing in my bedroom? This ain't your bedroom. This is my other bedroom. You don't pay rent. You don't buy no food. You're talking on my phone. This is my stuff. She didn't care because it belonged to her. But I was acting like it was mine. You see, a teenager is nothing more than a person who has not transitioned into adulthood. They're going through what we call growing pains. You become an adult in the kingdom of God at the point that you become a good steward. Because what happens, we've got all these old sayings that we use. The child leaves home and goes off on their own and then they, they come back and say, yeah, maybe you were right about a few things. Suddenly, you stop being stupid and you have some intelligence in your life. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah. Like, this is, just, this is a dumb example. I remember as a kid, we could not throw a ball in the house. And I thought it was dumb. Especially when the weather's cold, I want to throw the ball in the house. And I made a pact. My kids will throw balls in the house. It's going to be just fine. And that sounded really good until they smashed something. And it's like, huh, I guess that makes sense. Now, I know you guys are smarter than me, and you thought this through a little bit more, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. You see, all these rules that we have growing up, we want to get away from them. This is a, it's a teenage thing. When we get out on our own, we start to realize that mm, maybe there's those those safety guards that were put up by our parents were there for a purpose. You see, we are stewarding God's resources. We're not the owner. We act like it all belongs to us, like we have done something that has entitled us to this. You guys smell a teenager in all of this? We act like, oh, this is all mine. I can do whatever I want with it. Man, if God put it on your heart to give away a car, you need to give it away. If God put it on your heart to empty a bank account and give it to somebody, then you need to do it. Because it's his. You think he can't give you more? Of course he can. But we act like it's our, we hoard it. We get so prideful. And we, we, would just, we refuse to be obedient to God. We become an adult in the kingdom of God when we become a good steward. Steward with our finances. We become a good steward with our time. We become a good steward with our resources. It talks about in Hebrews how that through reason of use they became mature. In other words, they began to do things that would show themselves that as, as mature in the, in the body of Christ. How did these stewards that were used here, each given to them as their ability, show what their ability was? Because they would have done this before. You'll have that one child that's more mature than another. You put more responsibility, more expectation on them because they are more mature. If you've ever had an employee, you've got good employees and you've got bad employees. And the good ones are the ones that get promoted. They get raises because you can count on them. The bad ones are the ones that you've got to weed out because they don't steward your resource as well. If you're an employee, who do you work for? You work for God. We do everything as unto the Lord. And if that is true, then we should act differently when we're at our place of employment, knowing that, hey, I'm being a light to the world, and I am doing these things. I have to tell people this all the time, but when I was, like, when I was going to school and, and all these other things, I worked jobs, and one of the places I worked was for Coke. I worked the night shift, so I'd go in at 4 o'clock, Coca-Cola, that's right, more Diet Coke, pass it out, let's do this. And 
Um, my responsibility was to drive from store to store, and I would go and I would stock the shelves, clean up the back room, all that stuff. I mean, it was a mundane job. It was not complicated. Any, any idiot could do it. Well, apparently not any idiot could do it because we did go through a lot of people, but it was not complicated. And so I was on my own, and I would travel from store to store. I didn't have anybody looking over my shoulder, and so I went around, and it seemed like every night I would finish my route by about 10 o'clock. I'm supposed to work till 2 a.m., but I'm done early. So I would call my boss and I would say, hey, uh, you got anywhere else you need me to go? Because I, you know, I had to make an income, so I didn't want to go home. And he would send me out and I'd help somebody else finish their route or do something. I mean, he'd send me all over the place. And um, I didn't think anything of it because that's just how I was brought up. When you go to work, you're working for somebody. You don't waste your time. But I could have, but I chose not to. So I would go and do this stuff. And then there was one day where uh, I walked into a Walmart. You guys ever seen those pallet drops with two liters and, and things like that? You know, they're called pallet drops because you're supposed to walk by them. Oh, I do need a 99-cent bottle of Diet Coke. Thus saith the Lord. That was, that was prophecy right there. Y'all need that, okay? And, and so I walked in, and I see the store manager standing there, and the assistant manager, and this Pepsi one, it was completely stripped bare. And they were supposed to come in and refill it. It looked terrible. And I walked up to him joking around, and I said, hey, I can, uh, I can pull this thing to the back and put a Coke one out here if you want. And I kind of laughed and started walking away. And the manager says, hey, are you serious about that? And I said, okay. And he's like, do it. Okay. So I went and I did it and I, I, I stacked one up and I brought it out there and dropped it. And he's like, hang on, I want to get a picture of you. And so I'm holding the apology, doing two thumbs up. And he takes a picture of it to send to the Pepsi guys in my Coke uniform <laughs> to let them know what was happening. He also sent it to my boss. And we had a weekly meeting, and we got together, and uh, they were like, hey, you know, we want, we want to, we want to sh share this. And they showed the picture and all of that, which I didn't realize they were sending it to anybody. I didn't know what was happening at the time. And they're like, this is the kind of attitude we need, that you see an opportunity, to you take it. And they're like, great work, Chris. And it's like, we need more people like him. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, oh, am I getting a raise? Maybe a bonus? He's like, grab an extra soda on your way out the door. And I'm like, well, it's better than a kick in the face. So, but when I was getting ready to leave, I graduated school, I'm getting ready to leave, I went and turned in my two weeks notice, the, the head guy came up to me and said, listen, Chris, would you consider staying? And I said, well, no, I said, I'm going to, you know, in, in the ministry, I'm heading up there. He's like, we really would like you to stay. He said, if you would stay on, we want to promote you up. And he said, I think in the next three to four years, you'd be sitting in this office next to me making a six-figure salary, and we're talking about 2003, which six figures is a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but it was a lot more back then. And, and let me tell you something, that was tough to walk away from, because it's like, uh, you know, but I had to follow what God was telling me, so that was the end of it. But it all happened, because what did I do? I just did my job. I just did what you were supposed to do. If they needed some extra help, I went and did it. I didn't complain about it, I just showed up. If they needed, I worked for Sears prior to that. And sometimes they'd have to have overnight shifts or something like that to get some stuff done. I was always the first one to volunteer. Twofold. One, I needed the money because I was going to school. And B, is that it's like, well, somebody's got to do it. It needs to get done. So let's just get it done. Because I believe growing up that I worked unto the Lord and that I was a steward with my time and my resources. You guys know how many opportunities I had to minister to people through simply that. It was so simple. It's like I talked because they never had to worry about me. And I'm not here to brag about me. I know my stories. I don't know your stories. But I bet many of us could share something similar. You see, it doesn't belong to me. I'm not the owner. I'm not the owner of my time. I'm ultimately not the owner of my children. I will answer to God in the way that I raise them. 
I am not the owner of anything. My resources, my house, I'm not owner of anything. It belongs to God, and I will be obedient to do whatever God said to do with it. So, I'm not the owner, but number two, I am a steward. Like it or not, you are in this. Because you don't have a choice. You have been given the responsibility. This all started with Adam and Eve. They were the first stewards on earth. Look at this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed him and said to them, now here we go. Here's the, the responsibility. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, let's explain this. God gave a command. Be fruitful. We always put these two together. Be fruitful and multiply. We got the multiply down. We ain't so fruitful. You see, being fruitful means be productive. Multiply means, well, we know. It says to fill the earth, because there was the only them two, and subdue it. Have dominion over it. Over everything. In other words, he said, I am giving you the keys to the earth. Take care of it. You guys remember when you first gave your 16-year-old the keys to your car? Yeah, it was awful, wasn't it? They left on their own. You're thinking, okay, are they going to kill them? Are they going to kill somebody else? Like, I, I remember the first time that I left, I went through two tanks of gas in a day and a half because I was not going home at any cost. I drove everywhere, and my mom sat there hyperventilating the entire time. Because, and these are the days prior to cell phones, so it's not like she just call and see where I'm at or check my Snapchat because apparently that tracks you. That's so weird, guys. You need to rethink this stuff. Um, but anyway, it was not possible, so she's like, she's, I'd, I'd pull up at home, you know, to grab a sandwich or whatever. She's like, oh, okay, good, you're all right. She was paranoid. She was freaking out. You see, he gave them the keys of the earth. He said, now listen, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take care of this for me. Because it's his. Never belonged to them. But they were the stewards with it. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth. So this chapter 2 is a retelling of the story of creation. In chapter 1, it's just a little bit different. Gets into a little bit more details. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And what was the seventh day called? It was the Sabbath. That's where we get that term. It was Friday night to Saturday night. Still is. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. So you see, it's going back in time. When did we first see rainfall? Noah, Genesis chapter 6. So a mist, verse 6, went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Wouldn't that be nice if that still was going on? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then God, then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. So he plants the garden, takes the man that he created, sticks him in there. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and grow, uh, good for food. You see the pleasant for the sight, what Eve says, and it's good for food? 
The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden and watered the garden, and there was uh, parted, became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It was the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, uh, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. I don't know how you say that. It is the one who goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Now we were just discussing this this morning, that where these rivers meet, is that where the Garden of Eden was? The truth is, we don't know. We don't know for a couple of reasons. One, we don't know, even know if those are the same rivers. They just have the same name. That was referenced here. Number two is that if there is a worldwide flood, wherever those four rivers met would likely change because the rivers change often. Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden for what? To tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Why was man put in that garden? To steward the earth. That was it. That was why he was put there. He said, I'm giving you a responsibility. Here are the keys, kiddo. Take good care of it for me. You can do anything you want. Just stay away from that tree. Don't eat of it. That tree's mine. You don't touch it. But the earth was always God. It always belonged to God. Adam and Eve were the first stewards on this earth. They were also the first bad stewards on this earth. And since then, we have had tons and tons and tons of bad stewards on this earth. You see, there's a reason that the idea of evolution is so appealing to people versus the idea of creation. Evolution is an unguided process that we are here simply by happenstance, and thus we are not accountable to anybody. But if creation were true, that God created everything and this was his earth that we were to steward, that ultimately there's a day of reckoning coming, just like it said in that verse in Matthew 25, that the Lord came to settle the account. That day is coming. That is why there is so much animosity towards the idea of creation and God is because if creation is true, there is an owner. And if he owns it, then you're going to answer to him. And we don't want to answer to anybody. I've had more people through the years tell me that they can get around the idea of God through science and all this stuff. They can deal with that. But ultimately, they want to do what they want, morally speaking. So look at this again. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling a far country who called his own servants, delivered his goods to them. And to each one, he gave five talents to two, another to two, and another to one. And each according to his ability, immediately he went on and journeyed. Now, what is a talent? Because let's explain this. Oftentimes this gets analogized to say the talents that God has given you, you need to use for his glory. And that is a true statement, but please don't use this verse for it because this is talking about money. A talent is 10,000 denarii if it's a talent of silver. A denarii or denarius was one day's wage. Remember how it talked about when she poured the oil, the spikenard on Jesus' feet? It's like, that's 300 denarii. It's, 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 it's a, was it a month's wage or a year's wage? It was a year's wage. Year's wage. 300 denarii. Why 300? Because in the Jewish system, they have a lunar calendar where we have a solar one. So they have 300 working days when you eliminate Sabbaths and you eliminate feast days. And you take all of that out because they do no work on that. You have to remember, these guys went to work every single day to make that denarii to pay for that day's necessities. That's how it worked. You guys go to El Salvador. What you say was like five bucks a day is the average down there or something like, or is it even that much? Five to seven dollars a day is what they make. And it, it can cost you, I mean, can you imagine living off five to seven dollars a day? Many of us already blew that. You seen the price of bacon lately? 
that is not the will of God, all right? But, but the point is, is that this is how they live. So 300 denarii was a year wage. One talent is 10,000 denarii. How many are we talking about? We are talking about a lifetime of money with one talent given to him to steward. One was given five lifetimes, another two, and another's one. Either way, hey guys, do well with this. You ain't got to worry about nothing. We think that Jesus lived about 33 and a third years. At age 13, a Jewish male was a, a, a grown-up, and at 17, he became a laborer, and they retired at age 50. How would you like that? Well, the reason they retired at age 50 is because he lived to about 55 or 60. How would you like that? If he was a talent of gold, and we don't know which one it is because it doesn't say, if it was a talent of gold, take that times 10. We're not talking about a few pennies here. We are talking about wealth. We are talking about a ton of money. Because stewardship protects and expands the resources of another. If you put something into my hand, expecting me to take care of it for you, and I deliver it to you in a way that was not acceptable, we would have a problem, would we not? You ever had a neighbor borrow a tool or borrow the mower or borrow anything for that matter? And it comes back torn up. And you're like, I'm never loaning that person anything again. It happens. Sometimes they tell you, sometimes I loaned a guy my truck one time. He hit a deer. He brought it back to me and he said nothing. That's the way it goes. It's at that moment I put him as a steward in my truck. We are a steward in God. Of all of his, everything belongs to him. You don't know nothing. He owns it all. We simply steward it. So the fact that it doesn't belong to me, because I'm not the owner, and the fact that is. I am a steward. The third question is, am I a good one? Am I a good steward? You see, when I, when I, when I talk to people about worldviews, and we talk about having a biblical worldview, what we mean by that is that we uh, take the, everything that we see through the lens of Scripture to determine, okay, God, how did you design? This is the way science used to be. It's not anymore. It's gotten extremely secular since the 1800s. But prior to that, I mean, although well-known scientists were always trying to figure out, okay, we see this happening. How did God do this? And they tried to drill down on all of that. It's, it's gotten extremely secular. But when it comes to the idea of having a worldview, everybody has one. Like it or not, you have one. It's just, is the worldview you have good, and does it line up with the things that we see around us? Like, a Christian can answer why there is life instead of no life. And we can also answer why there is death. Because of sin. That's why there is sickness. That's why there is disease. We can answer that because we have Scripture, and that's the lens in which we filter everything through. We know why there is a moral law out there, and why there is a, a common known right and wrong. But if you take away the Bible, and you take away Christianity, there is really nothing more than a matter of opinion when it comes to a worldview. When we put this into stewardship, we are a steward not the owner, but a steward of God's resources. But that does not automatically mean that we are a good one. Look at Matthew 25, verse 20. 
So he had received five talents and came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you've delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides them. And his Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Here we got Good stewards. They did exactly what they should have done with the resources of their master. But we also have bad stewards. Let's look at this. We read this last week, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Is that a true statement? It is a true statement, but we don't act like that's a true statement. He says, beware of covetousness. He's so concerned about the inheritance. Then he spoke a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. The guy's already rich, yielded, the crops are doing well. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And then there I will store my crops and my goods. Now, has he done anything wrong? So far, so good. I mean, if you have an abundance of things coming in and you need a place to store them in order to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a matter of adding more here. It's verse 19 that becomes a problem. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He wasn't reprimanded for making money or building bigger barns or anything like that. He was reprimanded because he was living for himself. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease. Life's going to be good. Don't worry about nothing. That's why he got in trouble. He was a bad steward. Here all the resources in the world were given to him. I mean, think about it. Whose dirt was he farming? It was God's. Who causes that seed to grow? It's God. And we don't thank Him for that. We don't, all right, God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? See, that's got to be our attitude. It's not just with money, though. It's got to be with everything. God, what do you want me to do here? I mean, we could sit around and complain and find, find problems in every person we ever meet. In every church a person goes to, you're going to find problems. If there's no problems in that church, when you get there, there will be some, okay? But it, 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 we just got to we got to get past that. It's like, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? Because I could sit around and complain. I could just hoard everything. I could give nothing. I could just do whatever I want. And that's fine. You can do that. But, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who will those things be which you have provided? So let's look at Matthew 25 one more time. Verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. It was always his. didn't matter where he put it. The Lord answered, you wicked and lazy servant. That's not what we want to hear. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, 
when what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, he was this wicked servant. We all, at the day of reckoning, when we're standing before God, our ultimate goal is to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. But we see here what this is talking about. A good steward is handling God's resources for the benefit of others and for the worship of God. We need to be good stewards. I'm not saying that you need to give more money. You, we need to check our hearts. We need to check the way that we're doing things. At all times, in every aspect. This goes to every part of life. Am I stewarding what God has afforded me well? Would he come down at a time of reckoning and say, hey, great work. Am I using my time for God? Am I using my resources for God? If you wake up in the morning, that breath you just took in, that came from God. It's another day. It's another opportunity. God, how can I steward this day for your glory? This is what it comes down to, folks, is that we can't be covetousness. We can't be. We cannot covet that. We can't get, because we don't want, we don't want to allow any of that. We need to be content in the things that we have. And just be happy. All right, God, thank you so much for providing this. I mean, we could all use a bigger house and another car and all that stuff, but we should just be content. And as God provides those things, fantastic. But we should be content where we are. And we have to recognize who this all belongs to because if you start thinking, everything in my life belongs to God, your behavior will change. You hear me say it all the time. God, we worship you with every fiber of our being. It belongs to you. I say it all the time. And I want to live my life that way. I want to live my life in a way that every part of my life is bringing glory to God. I'm not there yet. I'm sure you're not either. But I strive for it. I want every day as an opportunity. I want every time. I have, I've made a, a vow in my heart. This is nothing for you guys, but I did this years ago. That any time that I uh, am somewhere in a different church, a different service, if there's an offering plate that goes by, I want to put something in it. I don't care if it's a dollar. If that's all I've got, I want to put something in it. I also do that when I go and preach at other churches. Same thing. They'll try, to, I, I never let them take an offering for me because I don't, I, I, that's not my source of income, you know. They keep their money. But I always try to put something in it. It may not be much, um, but I always want to put something in it. Why? Because here's an opportunity to give. I'm not there to take, I'm there to give, you know. And I know many of you guys do the same thing. I, I, please don't think this is some sort of, sort of a guilt trip. We just need to examine what we're doing. We need to be reminded that this is God's. It belongs to Him, and we steward it. When the board gets together every year, and we get together every quarter, we're talking about one of the things we pray is like, God, give us direction so that we are stewarding your resources well and that we are doing this for your glory. Every time we get together. Every day that I come in, I spend time in prayer every morning. It's like, God, today's another day. Where are we going? What are we going to do today? Who are we going to reach out today? How are we going to bless somebody? Lord, how can we bless you more? Every single day. We are simply God's stewards on this earth and have a responsibility to Him. So we are either going to hear, well done, or well, you're done. It's one of the two. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us the responsibility to steward everything that we have. You put this responsibility on us because You can trust us. That each one according to his own ability that you've given into them financially, Lord. But I thank you that you continue to grow us and that we can learn, Lord, that we know that we can be faithful to you because we trust that you are the one that meets our needs. And that we know that no matter what happens in this life, Lord, 
that you are there for us and you're taking care of us. God, we want to use everything that we have, every resource that, that you have given us to bring glory to you. And so, Father, I thank you for all that you've done, all that you continue to do here for these people, Lord, that you just bless them. And, and Lord, I thank you that we have a heart to just chase after you, God, that you would be glorified in everything. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a blessed week. I'll see you Wednesday.